Turnover. We've measured it, but can we now manage it? I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. Hello and welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm Rob Lawrence. Joining me today is Scott Moore from Scott Moore EMS Consulting. And today we're going to talk about the American Ambulance Association and Newton 360 Ambulance Industry Employee Turnover Study. And some of the uh, results that have come out of that perhaps may not be a surprise, but but with all studies, of course, we've actually got some data to back up some of the things that we are saying. Scott, welcome and thank you for coming back to EMS One Stop. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you having me back. Uh, my article that uh, has been already been published in EMS One, Turnover, uh, we have measured it, but can we manage it, is up at ems1.com. But Scott, thank you for uh, being a major part of that study, first of all. Um, you know, I applied some of my sort of thoughts and some of my so what's and some, some of the things I think where we should be going but actually you helped and were a major player in putting all this together. What were your biggest takeaways? Yeah, I appreciate um, that question. I think it's the, you know, there's around the country, everyone is feeling the pressure from the workforce shortage. And so, um, you know, the, the couple of things, one, we weren't able to do the study last year because of the pandemic, but we had done 2018 and 19. And some of the feedback that I've received are, well, you know, geez, you really didn't tell me anything new. And so my response to that really is one, that in order to be able to longitudinally measure things, you do need to repeat you know, many of the survey questions, which we did in this instance. And that was sort of advice through the University of Akron and Dr. Dennis Doverspike. But really the big thing for me, one of the big takeaways were you know, in 19 and even in 18, I don't think we ever had more than 54 uh, responses to the survey. And um, this year in 2021, there were 258 organizations that responded um, to the survey, which I think, you know, at least from uh, an, a level of interest and to get an idea using that as a, a reflection of what might be happening, I think we're starting to recognize how significant this, this, this problem is. Um, and I think, the, as, as you say, I think that's really a, a major combat indicator. I talked about, you know, my favorite generals in the article, but, uh, you know, it's a combat indicator of the fact that you look at any EMS trade magazine or any EMS trade publication in the last few months, you know, response times are failing, they can't do the job. And part and parcel of that, of course, is they haven't got the people. And so this is absolutely critical. And uh, you are an HR lawyer. You're the HR consultant to the American Ambulance Association. And I have to say, you've been telling us this for years. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just one of those that, um, you know, I think for so many years, folks have always focused most on reimbursement, which un- undoubtedly is, is a very, you know, is a substantial or significant problem. Um, but, you know, as we, as from my perspective in years of running services or as one of the, I think one of the few people in uh, human resources and employment law who focuses exclusively on EMS and public safety. I I just find that, um, you know, as a responsive industry, right? Typically we receive the call and then we respond. 
Um, this isn't terribly surprising. We're now at a point where I think it's a critical issue and you know all of the different groups and including most significantly the American Naval Association is focusing on um, uh, you know a fair amount of their efforts on trying to address this issue. So you know uh, I, again, the results of this year's study actually not all that different than any year previously with the exception of maybe that we saw involuntary turnover drop a pinch but outside of that really um you know i think this was a good place to start and where i'd like to see us go maybe next year or in years after that or getting getting a couple levels deeper let's drill into involuntary turnover for a second because you and i both know that's when we let people go abruptly when we fire them when we dismiss them um or indeed because this is america and i can tell you i'm leaving and i leave they go very very rapidly uh, but that number uh, has, I guess, it's improved. Do you think it's because managers and leaders are reluctant to let people go or has something else changed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, there, well, there's a lot of reason for involuntary turnover and and most of the time it's performance related. But um, I, think, I think part of it may be that um, managers or leaders are reluctant to, you know, they, maybe they'll tolerate behavior that maybe wouldn't have been or performance substandard performance that would not have been tolerated before but alternatively it could also be that one thing that ems folks i think do remarkably is always rise up to the challenge right in other words they may have gained a level of hyper focus in the last you know 12 to 18 months that sort of you know honestly um idle minds make make for usually some right. interesting outcomes. And so this may have just been a matter of, frankly, folks were so busy and so focused and, and rose to the challenge that, you know, the opportunities for poor performance just weren't there because people were moving too fast. It alternatively could be because we also weren't in a position because we were spread so thin to to maybe address or witness or um, see some of those those performance issues. I'm sure there's an expletive you can insert here, but in other words, stuff just got real over the last 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's, I mean, you know, when looking at what's happened for, you know, I mean, we, you know, so much coverage on how EMS responded to this. And I think for a lot of folks, you know, we do all that we can to, to do what is really, really difficult work. But I think for, for many, this was, this was an all hands on deck um, situation and, and folks, I think just really remained focused and, and rose to the challenge. One of the other stats that, uh, that that really stood out to me is that the people that don't go the full and first 365 days, in other words, we lose a lot of people in the first year for whatever reason, and perhaps you can break them out. But uh, And I always contend, and I think I've said this to you before, you know, it, it takes from zero to 14 days for somebody to leave, but it takes from, you know, three to six months to get somebody recruited inducted indoctrinated on the street third person cleared and competent and confident in six months so that's a lot of investment just to lose someone so you know what can organizations take away from just that's one statistic alone yeah i mean i it's funny in the study and i've gotten some pushback from folks about the the, the cost of turnover which was one of the other study one of the other findings that did rise a little bit this year but you know the the published number of the nine thousand some odd dollars for a paramedic and nearly seven thousand for an EMT, 
I think is is when, when we we looked at this in 2019, and, and I was I pushed a lot for a a, a, a narrowing of, of the definition to be look at that's what we believe the cost to actually onboard, not the full price of turnover. So um, I, as we look at this, and and yes, the the turnover rates in the folks in that first year are um, are higher uh, than than for all other categories of folks, and so. This comes back to the onboarding process. It does take at least six months before people start to feel confident in the clinical part. But I think really the hiring process really goes on for I think an additional 12 months, follow, you know, 12 to 18 months of hire, because this isn't, you know, for a lot of folks who weren't doing this job before, um, you know, or didn't have any patient related type, this this is a different kind of work, and you really do need to support those people and. You know the days when I, you and I came on um, in in EMS, and I was told basically keep your mouth shut for the first six months, and if you're still here, well then hell you made it. I think um, we've, we're thankfully we've evolved from that, and, and we need to do a better job at getting people through that process because the clinical competencies are important, but not the biggest portion of the job, and there's so much more to what keeps people engaged and on the job past that first six months when we sort of let them loose out into the out into the world yeah and for me that that's a major takeaway that as a leader we've got to make sure that these people are nurtured they are looked after they are followed up on and uh, you know I, i've done some work with uh, eve grau over at uh, royal out in the san francisco bay area and you know they are the masters the jedi masters of this uh you know and just making sure these people are loved included mentored looked after and, uh, you know, to my mind, Scott, that's one of the major takeaways. The economist in me also, and you mentioned about, you know, the cost of recruiting, the economist in me went, went to those, those numbers. And in, in the article, of course, I could have did a little calculation to sort of break this down. And uh, I'll never forget back in Richmond, our, you know, director of finance going, you know, the retention budget line has X in it, but the recruiting budget line has, you know, four times X in it. Why don't we just flip those numbers over? In other words... Should organizations be thinking about increasing their retention budget in order not to expend on the recruiting budget? How do we encourage people to have, I guess, first the confidence to do that? If they're going to do it. Yeah. And, and I, I used to bring this up often at conferences pre-pandemic where I'd say, I know what your line item budget is for the preventive maintenance on your vehicles and your capital equipment. How about what's your line item budget for the preventive maintenance on the largest item in your entire budget, which is your... And the most important item in your budget. And, and the most important, no <laughs> question. And so I think, you know, if... There, there's this again. There's this tendency to think we need to keep, you know, keep bringing people in, bringing people in, and and I think there are two ways to keep the bucket full, right? And and one of them is to prevent the leak, the leakage. And so, I, and, and I, I believe that you spend a huge chunk of your money on that onboarding piece, and it is far far less expensive to retain people and, and spend some of the money on making sure that people stay remain connected. You know, they do want to feel respected. They want to feel connected to the work and that there's purpose for it. And I think what we often do is get people on board and then we forget to remind them that what they do matters, that the work that we're doing is is critically important and that, you know, making sure that they can see a connection between their efforts and um, and the, you know, the overall outcome. I think one of the other challenges that I often see are employers that forget that people work so that they can live. It, it's not the other way around, despite a lot of EMS 
um, providers who tend to work a fair number of hours. We just have to remember that no matter how bad we're hurting, we need to make sure that people are balancing because that really is one of the number one with this generation. One of the number one pieces of feedback that I receive or things that are important for folks in jobs and all the research is they want a good work-life balance. And, and we in EMS are not always so good at work-life balance. So there may be a time where we have to push people to do that. Interestingly, this is an international recording going on today because I'm still sitting here in the United Kingdom talking to you in, uh, I'm in old England and actually I'm talking to you, Scott, in New England, right? So there's a, an English connection there. But uh, it's the interesting thing about work-life balance because uh, I've got my college son with me who's in his last you know summer last hurrah before he has to enter the u.s workplace um i hope he does and he gets off the payroll if you're listening andy um <laughs> but the point being is he's already cl- clocked talking to some of his you know e- some of the english r- relatives and friends here that of course you know the work-life balance doesn't exist in the u.s to the same degree it exists in the rest of the world and i think he's really he, he, that's one of his takeaways he's actually got a notebook of englishisms that he should know and that's work-life balance is one of them in fact and you know I, I think it's something that we can do better on in the u.s but from an ems perspective how do we do that yeah and you know i think you and i've chatted about this before a lot of times we focus a ton of our you know early orientation and onboarding and then ongoing education on clinical medicine and while i again i think Clinical medicine unquestionably is important, but there's a lot more to an EMS job than just the clinical medicine. And in fact, I think if you really broke down the amount of hours a day spent doing clinical medicine, as opposed to all of the other um, aspects or elements in the job, you'd find that it's the minority. And so I think this comes back to, you know, a, 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 a more broad-based education and retention strategy, which is, you know, not just you know, how do you be a good clinician, but how do you be, how do you, how do you run a career in EMS that's sustainable and likely to lead you to a a balanced and and happy life? I know that that sounds crazy because I know my father's generation, my generation was, well, if you work hard and earn good money and you will get respect, which then creates a happy life, um, I think a lot of people, you know, at least in my father's generation, they retired and then within six months, they passed away. So I think a lot of people are looking at that going, wait a minute, you know, I want a job that, you know, there's a tendency in EMS for folks to work 90 hours a week, go up and, and gross up their, gross up the, the financial burden. And then they're in a position that they can't wind that down and they become sort of a slave to what they've, to what they've earned. I, I no question that EMS is underpaid. That's another whole issue um, that uh, that deserves attention. But you know, maybe beyond this discussion, I just think it's a function of better preparing people for doing this career. We already know what some of the landmines are for people who roll out and and fall off of the EMS wagon. In other words, they go, "Jesus, this isn't for me." Maybe we can maybe we can start to build you know, sort of warning signs for people, like just be cautious of this. This is something you're going to be, ten- you're going to want to work that extra 80 hours and they're going to push you like mad. They're going to incentivize you. They're going to offer you a couple extra hundred dollars, but is that really what's right for you and is best for you? So, I, you know, not that during an, you know, you know, a huge work short, workforce shortage that do I want to push people not to take the extra time, but there is a point at which you need that balance or you won't be good for the long term. And actually, that gives me an opportunity to uh, plug a webinar that's coming up on EMS One later on in the month, where I'm sitting down with Dr. Dan Patterson, and we're going to get into fatigue. 
Um, and Dan's currently doing a study where he's he's the guy working the night shift. On, you may have seen his tweets and his his his, uh, his publicity. But uh, we're going to sit down and talk about that, and also the EMS one fatigue survey. And of course, this is all interlocked, overlapping, interrelated as well. So that's coming up now with the with the actual survey you've just completed. Of course, in order to get your baselines and compare apples to apples, I think you've already said you've asked fairly similar sort of questions. But when you go to next year and you want to do a deeper dive, what are you going to be wanting to ask? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I even talked to Dr. Dover Spike about possibly, you know, maybe there's a, a mid-year um, opportunity there. And I think some of that will rely on the availability of um, the university, the folks at the University of Akron, and then, of course, funding too. Um, I, I think from my perspective is, you know, Next would like to ask some questions about retention strategies and benefits. In other words, start to get a deeper understanding possibly of in organizations where maybe they're recognizing lower levels of turnover. Can we start to understand what, um, what, some, of, what some of their retention strategies are? A lot of people are doing, let's say, for example, you know, earn as you learn and then others, you know, do those retention bonuses or do sign-on bonuses work? I mean, I think what we find often with sign-on bonuses are you end up with EMS mercenaries, you know, the folks who jump from one place to the other, and that creates another entirely different dynamic problem. So I think I'd like to, like some of the questions that I'd like to, to go in deeper because I think everybody's like, great, you told me there's still an issue, is maybe we could drill down a little bit more into the number of years that, you know, when, when are we losing people beyond that first year? Because I do think that there, you know, um, there's, there's likely some interesting data in there. And then what programs to the extent that any, you know, you know, possible retention programs exist at some of these providers that might maybe be able to be replicated by others. Cause I hear a lot of folks talk about, you know, satisfaction surveys and, and exit and exit interviews. I, I believe more in retention interviews. Um, the folks who have left you, that information is important, but the folks who have stayed, those are the people you really want to find out. Why is it that you stayed? What is it that we do that makes you want to stay? And so I, I think we just need to get below the, the basic numbers and start to dig into where, you know, are there regional differences? Are there, um, you know, are there, uh, is this a paramedic versus an EMT, but years of service? Because I think, um, you know, and, and then and maybe lastly, not to sort of digress even more is trying to understand, you know, there's all, I'd love to get an idea of how many open positions respondents have, because it was one thing we didn't grab from an FTE perspective, because I think one of the big challenges we know, we don't really know how many open EMS full-time equivalent employees we need right now. We do know that by 2030, Hearst has done some research on this. By 2030, we'll need an additional roughly 42 to 46,000 more. So we need to understand how far we're down. What, you know, basically, can we, can we get a sample set of data that we can go, geez, we're 25% you know, understaffed now, and we're going to need to gross up to an additional 42,000. So, I, you know, and I'm interested in hearing from folks um, who had a chance to read the study, who said, okay, you created six more questions for me. I'd love to hear from those folks and I'm sure they can respond through you or me, you know, what, what next, you know, because I think I, while I'm always willing to offer suggestions, I think oftentimes I find that, you know, those working out in the profession have really great insight and, and possibly there are the ones who will be able to understand what data could they even produce? Cause that's one of the big challenges we have in yep. this industry is, we stink at collecting data. 
I, I really like your comment about the retention survey. Of course, if you're doing an exit survey, I, I certainly know from my years of experience that not everybody's going to want to do it. Some that do do it will tell you where you can shove your respective EMS system. Um, others will just give you an answer that they think you want. And I don't think you get accurate data from that. But perhaps, you know, the annual appraisal, and, and, and there's another, you know, interesting HR discussion altogether, you know, because if, if the, the, the pay award or the, the cost of living allowance has already been preset, you're not going to get a massive pay rise out of your annual appraisal. But actually, what we can get back is an active discussion around why you are still doing what you're doing, that retention discussion. I think that's, you know, I, I certainly think that's an excellent idea uh, and one that should be a major takeaway from this discussion. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I jokingly say the annual performance appraisal is like, would you tolerate a pet that came home once a year or a spouse that said they loved you once a year? The reality is you wouldn't. And so what would be ideal is if you had regular and ongoing interactions with your um, field providers, you don't, I think it can be overwhelming to not only ask a bunch of questions at one time and then have to work through all that data, you'd almost be better at breaking that retention survey up into weekly or monthly surveys where you can say, let's answer this month's question is X. What is it about the organization? You know, what is it about our benefits or what is it about the working environment? I think it's better off to break that up into digestible chunks, but number one, you absolutely have to share the information with your, with your folks because you know, if you're gonna ask their opinion, but then don't share the information and take action on it, you're missing an unbelievable opportunity to to literally solidify that relationship in a way that you won't otherwise. It's about building trust. So, I think, you know, the retention survey. Um, if you do do it all at once, so that you can, you know, maybe hire a company to do some of the data analysis versus breaking it up. I personally think, you know, one annual surveys are okay. Annual performance reviews they're better than nothing, but. If you really think about your opportunities, all the times you've had annual performance reviews, you ever walk away from one going, man, that was like a warm hug that led me feeling like I need to go do more work better than I ever did before. Um, I'm going to bet I, I, in my years of doing reviews, I don't know. I tried to give that feeling, but I'm not sure I did because once a year is really tough. Right. And that's probably the upper end of the uh, annual performance review spectrum versus the lower end, which is come in, sign here, see you later, get on the truck. Listen, uh, we all have an opportunity, if you want to, to read the American Ambulance Association AAA, uh, Newton 360 Ambulance Industry Employee Turnover Study. Uh, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but before we go, Scott, just talk about Newton 360, because that's you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, reluctantly was me, I, you know, I had this idea for what would be um, a tool to put enough operational information into the hands of those frontline leaders, so that they could more, you know, meaningfully use their time, you know, we know, generally speaking, that frontline leaders are either staffing trucks, or, you know, they're only interacting, coaching and mentoring, connecting with employees about three to 5% of the time. So what I thought was, well, geez, if you really are that limited in time, you better make sure that you're not always seeing the same four people, which it doesn't help the rest of the crew. Yeah. Um, and um, I wanted to make sure that if you encountered someone, you had enough information about that individual that you could hopefully have a more meaningful encounter. So uh, the other part of um, Newton really is the ability to provide two-way performance-related feedback. Really the goal being, it's why I called it, you know, Newton 360, the third law of performance management, where for every action, there was this equal and opposite reaction. And, 
And, you know, I always say to supervisors who say like, wait a minute, you want employees to give me a review? And I say, well, trust me, they already are. You just don't know what it is. And wouldn't you rather know what it is so you can act on it? So really, Newton was intended to be a performance, um, really an operational efficiency and performance feedback tool for an ongoing distributed workforce like EMS is. So, um, you know, I, I had when um, Greg Lawton had hosted, Avesta had sponsored the study the last two times that it was done. But as many of you know, Greg, while still connected to Avesta, he sold his company to OnShift. And um, uh, I offered to sponsor the study because I think it's important work to be done. And, um, you know, we need to start collecting data as a profession. And without data, um, really, it's just it's just opinion. So, um, you know, I'm committed to, to sponsoring and, and funding that study for as, as many years as they're willing to do it. And, and hopefully with feedback from folks on this podcast or from folks who've had a chance to read the study, we can start to formulate maybe a more meaningful, you know, or a more informative type of um, workforce uh, survey. I mean, I think within reason, there's only so much you can do, but, you know, our goal is, um, you know, for Newton 360, I think it's a tool that can change the way you utilize your workforce your management resources and gives you an opportunity to let every single person in the organization, you know, um, to, you know, to not only provide that transparent feedback, but build trust, which is the thing that really, frankly, moves the needle. So, And that comes right back to how I concluded the article, which of course is every office I've ever had has the sign across somewhere that says, if we do what we always did, will get what we always got. So therefore, we have to do something. Scott, how can we follow you, get hold of you, make contact with you? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, of course, uh, com or um, newton360.com, um, either either one for sure. Of course, I have a Twitter handle. It's Scott Moore EMS. Uh, although I say that like I know what I'm talking about. I, you know, Rob, you were far more... I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you get the likes, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, and then certainly, of course, uh, email is just smore at moreemsconsulting.com. Um, you know, it's I, I appreciate the opportunity because this is one of those things that, you know, we focus so much time and energy really on, on reimbursement and then other operational issues or MIH. And to me, I feel like I've been carrying that you know, towards that at the end of the day, if we're not focusing on the people who are helping people, then we're not going to make any any progress. So, um, you know, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to to you know to to focus on the study and and give me an opportunity to chat just a bit about Newton. Excellent, thank you. Now, of course, uh, our workforce are our most important, most expensive sometimes most frustrating, most rewarding, um, most important members of our EMS community. And so we should spend more time talking about the people and how we manage them effectively and, of course, how we retain them. But just take a second, if you're listening on this platform, whatever platform you're listening on, please uh, go and give us a rating. Of course, that puts us up the searchability uh, stakes so more people can find us and hear these important messages. Scott, thank you so much for uh, sparing the time yet again to come back and talk about uh, this particular subject. You can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1. The one is really important. Or you can track me down over on LinkedIn. So Scott Moore, thank you very much. Uh, I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.